Episode number five, Doug Lippman, Selling Ourselves Outside the Storytelling Community. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome to another episode of Storytelling with Children, the Art of. Um, this is Eric Wolf, your host, and I have online with me right now Doug Lippman, the foremost storytelling coach in the United States. Um, Doug is a master, I believe, of marketing storytelling, and he is particularly good at getting storytellers to look at their business practices and look at how they are marketing themselves to their client base and also to um, potential clients outside of the storytelling movement. Um, Doug has been a professional storyteller and musician for over 25 years. His storytelling grew out of his work as a preschool and music teacher in the 1970s. Um, A little-known fact about Doug is that he plays four musical instruments, the guitar, the flute, the banjo, and the accordion. Um, He is an amazing storyteller. In particular, he has a show called The Soul of Hope, um, a two-act Jewish mystical adventure story. If you're interested in hearing more about that, you can check it out on his webpage, um, storydynamics.com. As a coach, he's offered coaching services to storytellers since uh, 1979, and since 1990, it's become his most important activity. He's traveled from coast to coast, and you can probably find a storytelling workshop at some point in the year near you, led by Doug Littman or inspired by Doug Littman. I have other, uh, the first show that we did just five shows ago with Mary Hamilton was one of those inspired shows, and Mary, Mary and me both wax elegantly about the, um, the inspiration that we have received from Doug's teaching in story coaching. Doug has been a major inspiration in my work, and in particular, he has led me to explore marketing in depth, and I asked him to come on the show today to talk about that. He has a a marketing course on his website, True True Connections Marketing for Storytellers. Is that right, Doug? Yep, True Connection Marketing. And I happen to think from my communications with other storytellers and talking about marketing, I think that Doug is one of the most... um, well-versed at marketing storytellers in the United States. And so it's a real pleasure to have you on the show, Doug. Oh, great pleasure to be here, Eric. Now, uh, Doug, you have a story for us today? I do. Uh, imagine it's about 1750s or so, and you're in Eastern Europe, and the Jews are having a little kind of rebellion in, in their ranks. There's these new people, this little mystical movement uh, calling themselves Hasidim and they're not doing things the way everybody knows they should be done I mean there's there's times to say the prayers and there's how long they should say and there's prayers you don't say and prayers you do say and not only are they doing all that they're they're singing songs and dancing and telling stories well one day uh, a traditional rabbi asked the 
one of the Hasidic rabbis, why do you do that? Why do you add all that extra stuff? I mean, God told us just to learn the Torah. Why don't you just read the Torah and you don't have to do much else? And the rabbi said, well, you're right about the goal. But some people just reading the Torah, the Bible, that isn't enough for them to really understand their connection to God. So you, too, do sermons so that people can hear you talk about the Torah. And for some people, that is all they need. Some people, the Torah enough. The Torah alone is enough. Some people, if you had sermons, it's enough. But other people, they need something different. And that's why you use music and we use music. Because music can can allow you to feel something that maybe you can't take in through a sermon. But for still other people, even that isn't enough. And, and so for those people, we add dancing so that they can feel in their body as they move in a holy situation, a holy context, they can feel the understanding. But for even the people who don't, for the people for whom that isn't enough, we tell stories. Because even a child can hear a story and have it touch her in her soul. So the place we have to start from marketing is understanding the power of art. You see, if we start with the false assumption that our society has, that, that art is somehow a frill, and that there's real arts that are less of a frill, like theater or something, but storytelling is even more of a frill, well, if we start from that position, we can't possibly have the best possible results. Uh, so what is the truth about art? Well, art has the role of helping everybody know what it is to be human. I mean, stories and every form of art does that. It helps us know what humans have been, what we are now, what we could be, both what we'd love to be and both what we might be if we're not careful. And how can a society actually make good decisions about how to prepare for the future and how to deal with the present if you don't have an accurate picture of what humans are? And an accurate picture of, of what humans are cannot be done in its entirety by facts and statistics and essays. And so the job of the artist is to complete that picture. So that's the first thing. The storytellers, we have to really be clear on that. We're providing something very important. Once you have that stance, then you can go to the next step, which is to realize that that if art is important and people need it, then what is it about my art? What am I offering that maybe nobody else offers or that is different from what some people offer? So, so the, the biggest part of this, the hardest part, in some ways, is learning about your own strengths. And if you're telling stories, you can do that in part by interviewing people who have hired you or have heard you tell and trying to learn how they speak about what the benefit is of your telling or your workshop leading uh, or your eliciting of stories, whatever part of this story uh, forest your trees are in. Um, 
then the job of marketing after that is to figure out, okay, so here's what I offer. Here are some of the problems that I offer some solutions to. Who is hungry for that? Who is starving for that? And then the job of marketing is simply to try to find those people, let them know it's there. This is the polar opposite of what, what most storytellers think that marketing is, judging by kind of the high-pressure, continual bombardment that we get with uh, messages that are trying to persuade us to part with our money. I mean, if you think about it, we live in a, a time and a place where there is more commercial messages than there's ever been in any given hour uh, in any other era. I mean, you know, in uh, in Jerusalem of the you know third century, uh, there were marketplaces, but if you weren't in the market, you probably didn't get bombarded with people trying to make you uh, buy something. But now we get it through the radio waves and and uh, you know there's billboards and signs everywhere and people calling us on the phone. Ways that people didn't even have to communicate are now all being used in large part to to try to sell us things. So naturally, we don't want to be that. I mean, we're trying to do this job of helping people understand what it is to be human, and in our, each in our own different way. Um, and so, oh my heavens, I don't want to do marketing. That's crass and it's invasive and it's the opposite of the kind of relationships I want to form. That's understandable, but fortunately, it's a completely inaccurate view of marketing. Marketing is, after all, about forming relationships for our mutual benefit. There's a uh, a, a phrase in the Talmud that says, as much as the student wishes to learn, even more does the teacher wish to teach. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and so um, when we have something to offer, we want to give it. It's part of our nature to want to give it. And to know that we're giving it to people for whom it makes a difference and who just want that, wow, that makes a huge difference to us. So it's not about getting people to buy. It's about forming relationships. What kind of relationships? Not just any kind of relationships. Relationships where we can be mutual allies in the common goal. So if you say, oh, good, I like to work in schools. Well, schools is a fine place to work. It's kind of our traditional, one of our traditional markets for storytelling. Uh, if you say, I am a storyteller to someone in schools, they have some idea of what you are because in schools, at least, they know what storytellers are. Um, but they, they don't know from that what you're going to do to help them. And here is a huge marketing concept. Uh, it's not unique to me by any means. It's, it's all out there, but it's very hard to get your mind wrapped around, which is the difference between features and benefits. The benefit is what the person who uh, hires you for your service or buys your CD, gets, and the CD or the service or storytelling itself, that's just a feature of how you do it. So if you buy a car, it's because you want something to happen. You don't necessarily want just a car, reliable transportation, or maybe you want safe transportation most of all, or maybe you want a status symbol and you want something that goes vroom, 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 and makes you feel big and good, or makes you feel like you can show off how wealthy you are, or just makes you uh, gives you the pleasure of being connected to a fine piece of machinery. Whatever it is you want that's different from what other people want, 
at least from what a lot of people want, who are buying cars. And so the car and the number of cylinders and the presence of the side airbags, those are all features on the way to giving you the benefits you want of safety or reliability or uh, inexpensive transportation or ecologically aware transportation. Uh, Jimmy Neal Smith, uh, the head of the International Storytelling Center, likes to uh, repeat this idea that when people go to the hardware store, they're not going there to buy a drill. If they buy a drill, what they're really trying to buy is a hole. <laughs> and so the hole is the benefit. The drill is the feature. It's good to know that it's a drill, and a drill will do a hole. And it might be nice to know that it has a carbide tip bit on that drill so that it really will go make the hole in the metal that you want it to make. But that's just how. That's not what. Well, let's just stop, because this is a really important concept. Um, and let's just talk about, let's say I'm a storyteller, and I want to work in a school setting. And I have a show. I'm just thinking the common show I see is a multicultural I have multicultural stories. I'm picking that because I know a lot of storytellers have a show like that. Absolutely. So let's say multicultural stories, and they're they have a, they're talking to a teacher, and they're, they're getting, the teacher's getting excited, and they're going to start telling them about the benefits as opposed to the features. Can you just go through some common yeah. um, mistakes or common uh, benefits that they might want to use in their discussion right. with the teacher? Well, I'm glad you, you, you asked the question just that way, Eric, because the real goal here is to become allies in a common goal. So you have to know what the person on the other end of the phone wants from this. There's some reason they called you, and probably they called you and not someone else, or at least they made a call because they have some kind of need, desire. It might be a lack. It might be something they want to add to what they already have. And if they're calling about diversity, they could be calling for a number of reasons. And so you really want to start by interviewing them about what their goals are. Not everybody who calls you is going to be articulate about their goals. You know, they'll say, well, what's your goal? Well, we want the children to experience uh, stories from different countries. And you say, great. Um, and can I just ask you, what, what is it you hope the effect on the students will be of that? I said, well, I don't know. I guess we'll just, they'll be entertained. Well, you know, some people, you say, some people uh, are interested in uh, just uh, informing children about the nature of people in different cultures and countries, and other people really want a, sort of a change in the school culture, a, a sense of tolerance or openness or other things like that. What, 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 is any one of those at all like what you were after? And so... You may have to uh, help the person articulate what they want, but you do want to know why are they really doing it? Why are they buying this car and not a bicycle or a wheelbarrow or just staying at home? And so your first job is always to learn what their goals are and to understand the, and to be aware of the language in which they name those goals. So, you know, you and me, Eric, we might say diversity. They might say integration of varied cultures or some other you know, they might even say multicultural. They, they will have their own terms for it. And so you can't really um, communicate on the level you need to if you're going to be allies unless you speak their language. And they, you can't count on them speaking your language. <laughs> They're interfacing with a whole other world out there. They're interfacing with the rest of the school, with the students, with the teachers, with the administrators, all that. And so you want to come in learning their language.
good. So step one, interview them. What are their goals? Step two, then, is to decide, are these goals that I'm any good at helping them with? And if they're not, you can ask some more questions. You can say, well, I'm not sure I have the thing you might want there. Now, I do have this one program. Let me describe it to you and see if that sounds like it would do what you want. And it's not being underconfident to not know. In fact, it's one of the ways that someone will trust you if you honestly admit when you don't know. If you pretend you don't know, they'll get it that you're pretending. But if you don't know when you say you don't know, uh, then they don't feel like they're being sold. They feel like they're being conversed with, which is your job. You want to build a relationship with them. Uh, so, uh, and if they say, well, you know, as long as, long as somebody's going to keep the kids, you know, uh, you know, uh, really laughing really hard the whole time because, uh, you know, we want them to see that you know, not everybody's just like them, but we want it to be light. We don't want this to be heavy or politically correct or anything like that. And if, if that goal doesn't work with you, then you should say, you know what, I'm not sure I'm the right person for this. Uh, I think I can send you to someone who might be better. Or why don't you call the local guild and, and just say what you told me, and I bet you there's someone there who would, who would love to work with you. Turning down work is a very important part of marketing. You want to turn down the work that isn't right for you, that doesn't use your gifts, or that doesn't put you, pair you up with the person on the other end who has uh, uh, compatible goals with you. Why? Because they won't, they won't love you. And there's nothing worse for marketing than to have somebody say, oh, I had him, he was okay. And it, it wasn't maybe that you were just okay, it was that you weren't a match. So you never should have been there in the first place. So as much as that person is vetting you, is trying to decide if you're qualified to be their storyteller, you need to be trying to figure out if this person qualified to be my uh, my organizer for this event. And what we forget when we do this, what we forget is the benefit for us is we become the gatekeeper. Yeah, that's and right. as the gatekeeper, we become a valued asset. You know, our, our phone number, our... our um, our ability goes up in the eyes of the people who are trying to reach us and talk to us. Absolutely. I mean, some of the most triumphant moments back before I had really learned this were when I said to people, you know what, I'm not the person to do what you want. Uh, And really thank you for calling and let me know if I can help you find someone else. Uh, Because I stopped being the little puppy, (laughs) pat me, pet me, pet me. You know, no matter what you do, you know, kick me if you want, but keep petting me. And I also, as you say, I went up a little bit in their eyes because I wasn't just the person, you know, begging, begging for them, begging them for something. Um, but the bigger benefit, in my mind, is that if I wait to be with the people for whom I'm well-suited, or at least I have a fighting chance to think, you know, this, this, this could really work. I think, I think, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure this is, this is worth a try. Then I'm going to succeed with those people. They're going to love me because I'm what they wanted all along, and they hardly even knew it. And so those benefits are great because then when they say, how was that guy, you know, how was that storyteller, how was she, then they're going to say, oh, my gosh, she was wonderful. You know, she just had the kids laughing the whole time, and, and, uh, and, and they got a real sense of how different people do things. It was just, just exactly what I wanted. 
So the person who's well-matched will have success and will have word-of-mouth marketing, which is always the best. Everything else you do is just to stimulate word-of-mouth. Everything you do that looks like a, quote, marketing campaign, whatever that is, uh, is just to accelerate the process of building these relationships. Lynn, Lynn Ford, who was on last week, Oh yeah. Um, she broke. She, she, we had a thing on breaking into storytelling. Hmm. And basically, her methodology was very simple. It was, I mean, it was, wasn't complex, wasn't fancy. She, and, I mean, I'm breaking an hour down into a, a 30 second piece here. But basically, yeah. all she did was, when she met somebody who who seemed like they knew something about storytelling, she would write them a card, and then she <laughs> would follow up with a phone call, and she built relationships. Yeah. And, and she took it seriously, and she remembered yeah. them, and she took notes. Yeah. And, and so now she has all these relationships, and she's a good storyteller, and she's consistent in what she does, and she focuses on one particular show and one particular way of doing things. Yep. And now she's built all these relationships, and people trust her. They believe in her. You know, And so she yep. really practiced these ideas you're talking about. <laughs> good. I, well, I, she's someone who's made a relationship with me, and I, I think very highly of her. So it, it, it's working. And, and one thing about Lynn is that she doesn't try to be something she isn't. And that's a lesson that I've been very late to learn in life. I spent <laughs> I spent decades as a professional storyteller not having learned that, uh, being willing to do almost anything anybody wanted me to do, and then failing, or not you know doing it on average well, and then not getting hired and not getting my name spread, made things a lot harder for me in the long term to not know. Oh, these are my strengths, and if I if I get a job, which seems like the goal. Uh, that's not the right job, it's going to reduce my ability to attain my long-term goals, both in terms of finances and being able to support myself, and in my mission, in my mission of why am I a storyteller anyway. So um, feature, features are important only insofar as they convince somebody that you can actually achieve the benefit that you're claiming. That's why features are important. But you have to start with benefits, and you have to start with understanding what, the, what benefits the other person wants. Uh, when you do that, then, as we've been saying, then you be, start to become allies. And if the other person has benefits in mind that support goals that you support, then you, you're, you're, you are the kind of person, you, Eric, you talked about Lynn having. You're, you're this ally. You're, okay, we care about the same thing. And if I am willing to to step back and say, no, wait a minute, that I love that, but I'm not I'm not the best person for that, or I'm not sure that I can do that in this situation you mentioned, then they'll trust they'll trust me. Um, so that said, even if you're going inside the normal quote accustomed markets for storytelling, schools, libraries. Um, you know, uh, churches and so on, all the things that we do, festivals and everything else. Uh, if you're doing that from the point of view of I'm a storyteller and that's all you have to distinguish yourself, then you, you are making yourself a commodity. A commodity in economic terms is something that is available from many sources and uh, once it meets the minimum requirements, it doesn't really matter. So, you know, if you're feed corn, and what you want is feed corn, then you just want to make sure that it's not rotten or anything and it's not contaminated. But feed corn is feed corn, feed, feed corn is feed corn, and I'll buy it by price. You do not want to be something they buy by price. 
you want to be something that is so important that the price is secondary or tertiary in importance. Because, oh my gosh, I found this storyteller who can help us um, help those children, the ones that are getting lost in the cracks because of the the literacy issues. I I saw him. He got those kids standing up there and telling this long story and knowing it. And and the other children, even some of the better readers, being amazed at at this kid. Now, this kid now has really has a chance to have status in the classroom and as a learner. Well, when someone says that, then they aren't. Then you don't have to answer the question. You know, you're you're two hundred dollars more per hour than this other person. Why should I hire you? That question goes away. That's a commodity question. You don't want to be a commodity. You want to be the unique individual artist out in the world that you are. So. That means that even if you're in schools, even if you're in churches, even if you're doing what everybody else is doing, you're not doing it the same way. Uh, there's a marketer that uh, Eric is familiar with, too, called Dan Kennedy, and he he says over and over again, if you do what everyone else is doing, you'll get the same results everyone else is getting. And right now, even though we have wonderful storytellers and things are going very well in the storytelling movement in many ways, there's not that many of us that are actually surviving doing our art as our main living. It's gotten... so this, gets, this gets to the heart of what I really wanted to ask you today. Oh, good, good, good. And that is where, okay, in, in a, I'm an, I grew up an ecologist. I, I got a degree in ecology. I have a master's degree in environmental education. And I, I came wow. out of storytelling from the place of environmental ed. Hmm. And so one of the questions that arises from an ecological perspective, okay, you got the schools, and the schools are cutting back their budget for artists yes. because of the No Child Left Behind Act. And then you have the churches, um, and you also identified libraries and festivals as possible feeding areas for storytellers. Those are the traditional ones. The, ones the traditional ways. So that's the traditional fishing holes there. Exactly. So what are the other fishing holes? What are the other places that storytellers can easily translate right. into, and how do they make that transition? Right. The, the way you make the transition is to figure out what it is you do well and that, that people are hungry for. That's the first step, and... And it requires talking to people that that you've been with, interviewing them, informational interviews, I call them. He's like, I have 15 minutes just to talk to you. You know, you you, uh, you, you hired me twice, so I know you, you must have liked me enough to hire to hire me back. In your view, what is it that your students, your institution, your audience got from that? How would you put it? And so you're learning different ways to say what it is that you do well. And that's not that's not an easy task. It's an ongoing task because it's hard to articulate our strengths, and it's hard to articulate what we do is is sort of ineffable. It's not that we're building a better car that goes faster. It's not that we're putting a little round sphere through a, a hoop more times in an hour than someone else can do it. We're actually doing something that, that is more complex in its uh, in its effect. And and so I. Learning that, but then Eric, then comes the answer to your question, which is you have to start thinking, who else would love that thing? So, uh, you know, if, if if what if what you what you can do, you know, it is okay. T- take you, Eric. You, you you have this background, you say, in environmental education. Ecology is important. Uh, that's good. And to know that that's a focus of yours or the focus you want to deal with for, you know, for the moment, uh, that's a step ahead from just being a storyteller. But 
but within that, there's a million things that that you could do. So it's okay if I use you as an example here, Eric. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, uh, what would you say when it when it goes the best, when you have the most joy at the end, when you're the most energized by uh, some storytelling you've done around around the environment? Uh, what would you say is uh, the effect you feel you've had? What have you left behind? Um, well, I, I think that in, for me, when I'm really jazzed at the end of performance, it's because the performance has has called something what I consider from the spirit world that served a higher purpose. Mm. So there's a, a moral lesson involved in the in the presentation. It's not just that the audience was entertained, that they enjoyed it, but that there was some learning event that happened in the right. in the performance. It, the learning event can be for one person in the audience, but there's right. a feeling that yeah. I transmitted something that is beyond just me and beyond just them, something, a higher purpose of some kind. Right, Whether it's purpose. environmental education or, like today I had a Civil War show and I was trying to communicate the lesson of the of how terrible war is. Yes. And nice. to me, I just get really jazzed up right. doing that sort of work. And, 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 and you, you, if I'm not mistaken, you never said war is terrible. You communicated it through the story. Yeah. So let's just let's just switch to that one since you just articulated that so well. So, so here's someone who can tell about the Civil War in a way that certainly children will learn about facts and so on that they they might not have learned out of a book, but will communicate to them in some way the horror or the irrationality or whatever of war. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay, so that's the thing you're looking for. Who would love that? Who is sitting there alone somewhere wishing that, that, that he or she had some allies in doing that work? And, and that's, once you've asked that question, then you have a lot of work ahead of you, but at least you're answering the right question. Now, now let's, let's go back. Yeah. Um, I, I want someone who's sitting in Australia... <laughs> yeah. who's not never going to be able to get to any of your classes. Maybe they'll take something online. It's possible. Yeah. But more than likely, it's too much for them. Hmm. So they're listening to our podcast. This is their only chance to learn this important lesson. And so what would be three questions that you would ask that would help them to understand what that fundamental thing is that they're selling as a storyteller? Well, I just asked them to you, really. The, 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 you know, their so just questions, restate them. Yeah. Their the, the questions, you know, when it's gone great, when you've been energized, when you've been excited, uh, what what have you left behind? What effect have you had? What difference has your presence made? How have you changed people? How have you affected people? And by the way, this does not have to be high moral purpose. This can be I got people in touch with the fact that you can laugh at the world. You know that that counts every bit as much as ending war as as a as a, uh, a goal or as an effect a benefit. Um, uh, and everybody everybody who's <laughs> Who's, who's after ending war has a different little spin on it. We're completely unique, and no matter how fine you cut it, it's going to be uh, a, a little different uh, when you get down to it. You just asked me a question. Oh, you said so the three questions. Um, I, I think I think I answered those those three questions. But, but but understand, it's not simple. It takes a while, and it takes you interacting with uh, with other people who can reflect on what you've done and reflect back to you what you've done, and then you start to connect that to those great feelings you've had that maybe you didn't even have a name for. You know, you just described it really well, Eric, about how jazzed you are, how you know it doesn't matter the subject so much as that we've gotten across 
you know, something important. There's going to be other people who, you know, whose answer to that is more like, I've gotten across the fact that all the stuff you thought was so important isn't so important. What's important is that we're here right now, you and me having fun. And so you're looking for those kinds of answers, and once you have those, then you can go to the next step. Did that, did that help your person in Australia? Yeah, I think so. I think that covers it. And the important idea here is that, is that you don't need to to be the Doug Lemon. You don't have to have Doug Lemon sit next to you, though it's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But you can just get your friend who and have these five questions, and they can ask you the questions, and you can respond. Absolutely. To your best your ability, and they can keep saying, "Well, that's not quite it. Try again." Yeah, right. And, you know, yeah, until you get good. the answers. I like that. Storytelling with children. <laughs> Storytelling with children. Storytelling with children. One of the places that I I've seen storytellers work, but they don't call themselves storytellers, yeah. is is I see comedians. <laughs> who are basically doing right. storytelling, right. you know, but it's funny storytelling. They're doing sort of a tall tale sort of storytelling. Um, what I'm thinking of, of course, is some of the really big names. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they do these shows that are really heartfelt and warming, and it's it's really yeah. storytelling. But they yeah. don't call it that, and nobody Absolutely. recognizes it. I mean, right. maybe Garrison Keillor is another big name. He he clearly does storytelling, right? But he doesn't do it from his mind. He does it from a book, right? Um, but these are really big names, and they don't. They don't have the same. They aren't working within the same markets, you know. Within the same markets as uh, traditional markets of storytellers, schools, libraries, right. churches, and yeah. festivals. So, are there some other markets that easily transfer over? Yeah. In terms of business or. Right. You see, it's worth noticing if you feel more aligned with. Uh, Comedic storytellers, comedians who tell stories, and not not all comedians do tell stories. Uh, but if you feel more aligned with them than you do with, you know, people doing, you know, two-hour Jewish mystical epics, then that's really important. But these these established venues like comedy and so on are only going to be useful for a small percentage of storytellers. If if that works for you and you want to apply yourself to it, go for it. But there's an easier way. If you decide that okay, the, you know, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm that funny guy. I like doing that. But but I'm I'm not just any funny guy. You know, maybe I'm on the heartwarming side, or maybe I'm the funny guy. You know, who does a lot of stuff about uh, sex roles, or I'm a, who does a lot of stuff about you know father and son, or uh, parenting issues, or whatever it is. And and. And within that, I tend to go for the sense of noticing that we really do end up caring about each other. I'm just making this stuff up. I'm not funny at all, actually. Um, In that case, you want to say, who would love something that was humorous but left us feeling like we really do care about each other? And then do not go by venue. Do not say, okay, I have to find our comedians. Go by who in the world in any walk of life would like that. And so relationship work. They're doing, you know, retreats, workshops, courses, uh, therapy, whatever it is around relationships or in communities where people are having a hard time. There's a lot of tensions in communities and they could bring you in and have everybody getting laughing, which is a nice way to break all the tension, but being brought back to we really do care about 
We really do care about each other. So when you define it that way, then you say, okay, I'm looking. For, I'm not looking for an established venue. I'm looking for the people who have the need that I can fill. And who would those people be? So now, now you're on another step. Uh, you're brainstorming who, on, who in the world might want that. And here, here's, here's one of the things that's so hard for storytellers and for everybody else, really, um, is to say, I do this. I serve people who want tension-breaking entertainment with a sense of caring at the end. And why is that hard? Because we want to say, but I can also do this. I'm pretty good with the, you know, with the kids and the participation. You know, or I can, I can do this. You know, and it, it, it's like it, it's the puppy thing again. And I, I got a big streak of puppy in me. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do that. Sure, I can do that too. How about that? Um, <laughs> It's the powerful place is to focus. Now, you don't have to focus on one thing all your life. You have to focus on one thing at a time for a given market. So if you, if you say, you know what, I think there's a whole lot of people in the, in the conflict resolution area that would really love to be able to bring in someone like me to break the tensions but leave them in, with their focus on caring. In fact, I would be just what they needed. And then I'm looking for who those people are, and I'm presenting myself to those people as the person who can provide what I just said. Now, I may also say, you know, I can do participation uh, stories with children in a way to get children absolutely excited and jazzed, and they know that this is about them, and their, their whole body is involved, and at the end they feel like they just had this great sense of achievement because they've told the story with me. So I can go after preschool teachers or families or whoever has access to those young children uh, as the guy who gives them a sense of involvement and achievement because they told the story with me. Uh, at the same time that I'm also approaching all those conflict resolution people as the person who does the other thing. Uh, so I get to have these different, uh, think of them as marketing campaigns, going on to different markets. And I don't have to be just any one thing. Of course I'm not just any one thing. I, Doug, am many things. But any one person who doesn't know me yet can only put me in one category. And so the mistake is to say, I'm going to tell everybody that I do the preschool stuff and I do the conflict resolution stuff and I do this and I do that, because then they say, well, who is he? I don't, I don't get it. Or he must not do anything very well because he's... He's uh, he's this jack of all trades, and then add in the relationship thing. If I start building relationships in the conflict resolution community, whatever that is, then those relationships start to support me, and I start to know people, and I start to feel, oh, who is really on my wavelength? Who is going to be a good ally with me, and vice versa? And so I become supported by that community, and a smaller community can support me better at the beginning than a larger community can. And once I'm known as, oh, my gosh, this is a guy is Mr. Conflict Resolution, and I say, you know what, I, I think I want to do this comedy thing with the loving twist on it uh, for other groups. Well, the fact that you are famous in the conflict resolution community, as small as that may be, puts you in a great position to move into another community one at a time. 
build that one. When that one's going, then you got two. And then from those two, you can you can go use that as a base and go into a third. And while those are happening, you can do your preschool thing. You can do your whatever else you do. You can have as many as you want. Uh, somebody uh, wrote a book on on uh, careers in general. I've forgotten her name right now. Barbara, somebody, and she uses what I consider this great analogy: the juggler who juggles plates on the end of sticks. And she says, you know, watch that juggler. The juggler puts all her attention into getting that first plate going, and then once it's going, just puts a minimal amount of attention and energy to keep it going, and puts attention into the next one getting it going. And that's the way. That's the way you become a very happy, very energized, very well-to-do uh, storyteller. Is that you put your energy into getting one market going with one thing that you are primarily offering, and when that's going, then you can offer next another one. Yeah. That means that in the meantime, you can't be putting your energy in more than one place, your main energy. You have to decide. You have to focus. Sometimes it will be the wrong one. You say, okay, I tried that. That didn't work so good. When I became a storytelling coach, when I became known for that, it was because I had been known as a participation storyteller, and I was working in schools in Massachusetts where I was living at the time. There was this this recession. And the bottom fell out of the school market. People had signed contract for, contracts for residencies, and they were called up and said, I'm sorry, there's no more money. We have to use the little bit of money we have to fix the roof. It's leaking. And so uh, suddenly I went from working all the time to three jobs in three months. And I had to say, well, what am I going to do? Gosh, I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket. And it took a while. <laughs> it took about three more months for me to be willing to really get myself ready to try something different. But I said, okay, I'm going to think of five things. I'm that that reminds me of another Dan Kennedy quote is never one is a bad number in any business. Yeah, that's, absolutely, yes. Putting my eggs in one basket, I thought that was smart. That was stupid. <laughs> but I, I, I said, what else could I do? You know, okay. Let's start over. The storytelling thing, as I know it, isn't working. What can I do? And I came up with five things. One of them was voiceovers. Uh, I forget what they all were. One of them was coaching, because I had done that as sort of an adjunct to the teaching I was doing of storytelling, which in itself was kind of an adjunct to the performing I was doing. But but people liked my coaching, and, and I'd actually done a couple of workshops at conferences about it, and done workshops about a lot of stuff. And so it was on the list of five things, and I began exploring them. And 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 the uh, the voiceover thing fell out in a hurry out out of the, out of the list because I just did one informational interview and discovered it was really competitive, and I, I didn't want it. I just didn't want to be in a really competitive field, and you know where I have to be pushing myself forward is not my constitutional nature to do that. It makes you, me nervous. You just drop something that's really important, and Good. it's really important. I mean, you didn't drop it out, but you just mentioned it in passing, and it's so important. When you are exploring any business opportunity, as a storyteller, I don't care what business you're in, the informational interview is one of the most important steps. Absolutely. And, and when I'm coaching somebody on a business practice, the first thing I say to them is, write an article on your business and call five people in the industry and say you're writing this article for this Ooh. magazine. It doesn't matter if you finish the magazine. Just call those five people and interview them and ask them these ten questions. I give them a list of questions from Dan Kennedy's um, the letter-writing questions. But the thing is that that informational interview gave you that information. You didn't spend Absolutely. four months going out and trying to do the work. You actually just Absolutely. called to talk to somebody Absolutely. about it. 
Anyway, so keep going. Tell your story. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. That, that, you're absolutely, absolutely right. Now, coaching, I knew more about. I didn't have to do such informational interviews, but I, it was something that I began to put things out for. I said, well, what would be the next step? Well, I've written articles for what was in Storytelling, well, for Storytelling Magazine, and um, I'll, I think that would be the next step. You know, the editor at the time liked me, and so uh, I put it out this, you know, that I would like to write this. She said, oh, that sounds great. And so months went by, and I'm trying out other things, and some of them are working okay. They're succeeding sometimes. There's not a lot of energy. There's not a lot of, uh, even though I thought people, I was well-suited for them, there wasn't a, a lot of great uh, uh, synergy between me and the people that I was doing this for. The coaching article hit, and I hadn't even gotten my copy yet, and the phone started to ring. And it was Ruth Ann Henderson, who was in Atlanta, Georgia, saying, oh, my gosh, we've been looking for coaching the way you describe it. Would you come here and do a, do a workshop? What do you like? I said, I'd like a four-day workshop. She said, I'll make it happen. A month later, she called back and said, I have a little problem. I said, what? I have too many people. Would you do two four-day workshops? <laughs> <laughs> and it was that synergy that made me realize, oh, yeah, there's other people who are, who are trying to help people with storytelling, but they do it different ways than the way I do it. There's, there hasn't been a choice for people. Ruth Ann was one of those hungry people, and realizing that I might want to do that, writing an article about how I do it, getting it in the magazine, let at least some of those people, at least one of those people, know that this was available. Uh, and that, that really changed the course of things for me uh, all those years ago. Uh, but it was five things. At the beginning, all five seemed equally good. Uh, you, you have to try things that don't work if you're going to find the one that does work. And if you don't try them, you just think, "Oh, I could have done that thing," and then you never know. And you try, you never it know, didn't work, right? Or, 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 or you think I couldn't have done that thing, <laughs> unsupported by experience. And, and in your practice, one of the things you talked about me once was this idea that at a certain point in your practice, you realized that it that your time was limited yes. in, in terms of marketing. You could only market your time so much, Absolutely. and there was a point when you had to sort of merchandise yourself. You created these coaching workshops in a box, or uh, it was the voice care toolkit you talked about. That's right, that's right. That you, you put that out there, and it created an increased income for you because you had this way of selling something besides your time. That's right. Once you've begun to find uh, a community or a, or a market that you resonate with around a certain goal, once you find that, then you still have the job of figuring out how you can actually earn enough money with the hours you have available in your day. And... Uh, there's two big tricks there, two major tricks, and you mentioned the second one. The first one is to find a way that you can uh, begin to build relationships with people so that they can try you out and see if they really want a long-term relationship. So, you know, for years I had a few cassettes. It was back when cassettes. Do you remember? Do, do, Eric, do you remember your your, uh, your grandparents talking about cassettes? I, I had a couple. <laughs> I think um, I was six when you started telling stories. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's probably true. Um, uh, and basically all you could do was you could buy my cassette or you could hire me to do a performance, a couple hundred bucks, or you could hire me to do a workshop uh, or you could hire me to do a residency. That was it. I didn't have any. I had a brochure, but you know, brochures are not informative. I mean, they can look pretty, they can say a few things that sound good, but pretty much a brochure doesn't give anybody much of a, of a relationship with me just because they picked up a brochure. Um, 
years later, I learned that I want some way to begin the conversation. It, it's a little bit like saying, uh, you know, uh, we just met. Uh, you can either marry me or never see me again. <laughs> and and you know, hiring somebody is a little, it's a little bit like marrying somebody. You never, never, if you've never seen them before, you don't know anything about them. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to bring you into my school or into my conflict resolution workshop. What you know, I have all these people and they're depending on me. I need to know you better. And I, I, I interviewed know. a presenter once about yeah. the fears of presenters. She's a theater owner, and hmm. this is when I was looking at working in children's theater, and I interviewed hmm. a lot of presenters, a lot of directors of theaters. And uh, she said something that really affected my whole relationship with the presenters. She said, once I had a theater company come, uh, it was a Native American company, uh, no disrespect to Native Americans, but it was a Native American company, and they were a half an hour late opening. And she said, I never talk to them again. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was like, and then she said, my my uh, foundation members still joke about that show. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. How, how to not get hired is to make the person who hired you look bad. <laughs> so, um, so people have real needs. I mean, when you when somebody hires you, they have they have real absolutely. solid needs and 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 they are really putting their face up for you know up for you to uh, smear if you make a mistake or and, and you know. see they need a, they need a, some kind of a courtship period there they need some way to get to know you to start to trust you to start to believe in you and if the only choice is to hire you or or not hire you or put your brochure in a file somewhere that doesn't give them very much chance to to, to get over that hump of who is this person really. So what you want, you know, and it's not their job to create a channel for you to do that. It's your job. I mean, you can wait for them, and some of them will do it, but you'll end up getting a fraction of the jobs you could have, and a fraction of those will be as good as they could have been for people who really got a sense of who you really were and therefore knew who you were what they wanted. So um, you need some way to invite people in to know more about you so that you can continue to communicate with them and you can have this sort of courtship period. Um, one way to do that is a newsletter. Another way to do that is with a series of calls, you know. Or perhaps I mean, even a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the thing uh, is that I don't actually think emails are the way to go anymore. I mean, well, newsletters, physical newsletters are good, but I think emails are getting more and more difficult to deliver. Uh, and, and, you know, the evolution of the media will continue to evolve more quickly as there's more options. Well, so, I, I want to just stop, pause there for a second here. Yeah. And I, I want to give, because we only have nine minutes left on sure. the call. So I just, I know there are three other people on the call here, and I wanted to offer if any of you wanted to spend five minutes with Doug right now, figuring out your benefits as opposed to your features, here's your mm. opportunity. Just state your name, <laughs> whatever your business is in storytelling. Uh, going once, going twice. Okay, fair enough. Star seven to unmute your line if you're on mute. So, um, Doug, I, I want to give you the offer before we start winding down here. Yeah. Do you want to offer something to our audience? I would love to. Or um, perhaps to our future podcasting audience who may be listening absolutely, to us. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, there, there's two things I'd actually like to offer. And one is available to anybody, but if you don't know about it, uh, then and you want to know about me, if, if you want if you want to continue the uh, uh, the beginning to explore each other uh, as potential allies, then get my eTips newsletter, eTips from the Storytelling Coach, and that's at storydynamics.com slash eTips e t i p s um, storydynamics.com slash E-T-I-P-S, E-T-I-P-S. Uh, if you go to the storydynamics.com, 
that that's my primary way of letting people get to know who I am and what I do. Um, the second thing I'm offering just to people on this podcast, and it's just to the first 20 people who respond uh, whenever it is, is um, a $50 certificate off of any of my online courses. And right now, those are things like the True Connection Marketing that is just ending one cycle and will start again probably in the fall. Um, uh, the uh, the uh, Story Thinking for Business Leaders uh, class, uh, the sixth lesson class. I, I'm just tonight starting um, How to Command Attention Through Storytelling, which is really the fundamentals of storytelling. doesn't assume you know anything or have done it ever before. Uh, so there's courses like that, $50 off of any of them. All you have to do is to email me, Doug, at storydynamics.com, with, uh, and say, mention somewhere in, in there, Eric Wolf's podcast, and you want this $50 certificate. Storytelling with children. <laughs> Storytelling with children. Thank you. Eric Wolf podcast, Storytelling with Children. Uh, and I will, re- I will return you a, uh, an email with the actual coupon number that you can use on my online store and uh, an address of, of uh, instructions for exactly how to use it. Uh, but that's, that's good, that's, that's good uh, f- you know, for the next five years, say. That, you don't have to do it right now, but if, uh, you don't have to use it right now on a course, but uh, it's for 20 people. Yeah, that's very generous of you, Doug. Thank you. Um, well, what would be your – you've got me so inspired that I think I'm just going to put this out there. To the, sure. Um, I, I offer to the first person who calls me in the next three three months, expires in 90 days, I offer the first person who calls me that I will help you spend one hour figuring out your benefits as opposed to your features. Mm, so whoever it is who calls me, um, just give me – uh, you can write me an email at wolf at ericwolf.org or you can call me at 866-767-8696, and you can just let me know that you're interested in taking advantage of the offer. Only one person. And um, other people, I do have a standing offer of a 20-minute just you know get-to-know-me coaching. We talk about what you want, and we go back and mm-hmm. forth. But I'm talking about a serious one hour. We really get down to it, look at the benefits and the features. This is the sort of thing that's really easy to do with two people and really difficult to do to yourself. Very difficult to do to yourself. I, I am actually quite expert at helping other people, and when I need help, I turn to someone like Eric or Nancy Donovan, who does a good job on the benefits thing too. I can't do it for myself, uh, and I, I need periodically someone to help me. So, uh, please use the stuff that I gave you to do it for yourself. But take up take up Eric on his offer and and f- turn to other people. It's so hard to know what you sound like outside of your head. It's so hard to know what you look like outside of your head. And, and, uh, and for those those people who work in institutions, this information is just as valid for them. In fact, it's okay. even more so in terms of reaching new audiences and understanding the benefits of what storytelling in those institutions can do for you know how we can serve the storytelling community better, et cetera, et cetera. Doug, final words of wisdom. You've got two minutes. What would you like to let let leave us with? Um, I, I would like to leave you with the idea that if you if you're just if you're just bold enough to believe that you have something unique to offer and that there's other people who are leave the established channels to try to make that match happen that you can support yourself emotionally artistically and financially there's no shortage there 
Everything in our society leads us to believe that we have to compete. It's all about shortage. In fact, people would love, if they only knew, and you only knew and could explain it to them, what you have to offer. There's people who so much want that and are waiting for you. So don't deprive them. There's a marketing coach who I admire greatly who says, um, "Serve, find those you serve and serve them well. Yeah, that's it. And that's the only thing you can really do. Well, thank you so much, Doug, for coming on. I want to remind uh, people who are listening to this as a podcast that um, this podcast is available through iTunes. And for those of you who are on the call right now, that's actually going to go through in about seven days. So don't go, don't go looking right now. <laughs> but for those of you who are actually listening on, on um, through the site, the website, that this this podcast is available through iTunes and all the past podcasts as well available, including the Lynn Ford interview, which covers basic marketing techniques, some of the stuff that Doug didn't have time to cover today that's really important. I think everybody should listen to if they're a storyteller. Um, also, in addition, on the website, you will find you have the ability to play directly there. Just push a button, and you can play all the interviews, uh, and there will be other writing. And for those of you who are listening right now on the conference call, you should know that there's a couple paragraphs there about marketing from the heart that Doug has written and kindly allowed me to put on the website. In addition, there's also other material of the, the past guests. And next week, I'm very excited to tell you that we have um, Judith Black coming up. And I'm really excited to have her on the show. She's going to talk about child-based stories, and I I hope you all join us for that call. Um, Thanks a lot, Doug. Thank you for having me. This guest has written a post for the blog at www.storytellingwithchildren.com. You can make a comment or ask a question in the blog comment box about this discussion. If you wish to join a future discussion live on the call, go to www.storytellingwithchildren.com and sign up to the email alerts to receive future notices of shows. This show was conceived, hosted, and produced by me, Eric Wolf. And to support the show, you may learn more about my storytelling work by going to www.ericwolf.org. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This podcast is the responsibility of Brother Wolf Storytelling and is distributed under a Creative Commons non-derivative license. That means you can copy it and give it away, but you can't edit it or sell it. Thank you so much for listening. As my granddad told a tale.